I, uh, I've never really gotten into the whole motivational speaker thing, and some of you are like, oh, we know. <laughs> we, we, t- we understand that. Um, and my go-to reaction to that kind of stuff is like five easy steps, and this will change your life, is just to kind of roll my eyes a little bit, kind of sigh, and think, um, yeah, that's, that's not really going to work. In fact, uh, if you really want some motivation this morning, um, I'll, I'll give you a little bit, but we should probably have Teal come back up here. Uh, she's running in the, uh, some of you know this already, she's running in the uh, Olympic trials for the marathon this coming Saturday, which is, that's pretty cool. It's, fu- it's, it's fun to embarrass people sometimes, since I have to be up there here and, you know, the whole, like, public speaking thing, um, and so that's nice. But maybe she could come up here and give us some pointers on those things. But most of the time, um, and a lot of this is personality driven, but if you kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's in this category, like that whole idea of the motivational speaking and, and like shifting your worldview to, I don't know, it, it's, it's very much, you know, it's catered to as many people as possible, right? Because that's how you sell your books. And so it's just vague enough uh, to reach a broad enough audience for just an existential enough ideal um, that people can kind of shoehorn into their own lives uh, without a whole lot of consideration, like whether or not it's actually a good foundation to set for your life. It's one of those things that focuses more on the end goal and the end result rather than how you get there and whether or not that end result is actually even worth it uh, for your life. And, And one of the reasons I think when it comes to our lives, how we think about our worldviews, how we're motivated to do what, we're, what we do in our life. One of the reasons why we have such competition between our beliefs and God is because things creep into our understanding of the world that have a connection to something that may some, somewhat like have a small connection to truth or be truth adjacent, um, uh, but it's really been twisted. And it gets into our thinking, and it causes us to think like, oh, this is how the world should operate, and this is how it should impact my life. Um, there's a group called the Barna Group that does a lot of different surveys. They c- collect a lot of different data when it comes to faith and how it impacts our everyday lives. And I just want to share with you some research that they found with, uh, between Christians and their strong agreement with ideas that are unique to non-biblical worldviews. Uh, when it comes to how they practice their faith. So here are a few notable findings among practicing Christians. And let, let me just say right now that just giving this data, like there's much more that could be said about each of these things and their connection to our faith and, and to truth. Um, but let me just share with you some of these few notable findings among practicing Christians. 61% of practicing Christians agree with ideas rooted in new spirituality. 54% resonate with postmodernist views, which there's more that could be said about that. 36% accept ideas associated with Marxism, and 29% believe ideas based on secularism. And, and let me give you a small example of, of how this has crept in and like how it makes a difference in our lives and our faith, how we, how we view our world and God. Um, for example, one-third of practicing Christians uh, strongly agree that if you do good, you will receive good, and if you do bad, you will receive bad. And that's karma. Um, and it's not taught in Scripture. In fact, Jesus says some things that are quite the opposite of this. Um, and yet, it appeals to many Christians' sense of ultimate justice. Uh, another example is that in a Barna study, and this is a little bit of a sermon spoiler uh, alert, uh, found that 52% of practicing Christians strongly agree that the Bible teaches God helps those who help themselves. Then the narrator comes up and says, it doesn't. Almost, almost one-fifth of practicing Christians strongly agree that no one can know for certain what meaning and purpose there is to life, which is, that, 
That pains me to read that and to know that. And a similar perspective also resonates with many Christians when it comes to our views of morality. Almost one quarter of practicing Christians strongly agree that what is morally right or wrong depends on what an individual believes. And so when we talk about these things like lies we believe and these things and how they creep into our lives, like these aren't just fun, like gotcha moments that we talk about. These are things that actually creep into our understanding of the character and nature of God, how we view our world, and affects how we live out our faith and how we live in community with each other as Christians. The Barna Group uh, shares this quote I, I thought was powerful as part of this research. This they wrote this, Informed thinking is essential to developing and maintaining a healthy biblical worldview and faith, as well as being able to have productive dialogue with those who espouse other beliefs. Whether it's active or whether it's passive, our worldview and our thinking, uh, particularly during the communication shift that we've been experiencing for the last 25 years when it comes to how we're connected to news and information, we're constantly being influenced and challenged in our lives. As disciples of Jesus, without consideration for this and the type of impact that it can have on our lives and our thinking, especially the new life to which we've been called, it's easy for us to find ourselves drifting back and forth between solutions to the symptoms of our problems rather than the root issue of where we might be missing the mark in our relationship with God. And we read from Ephesians chapter 4 and how I think Paul identifies this uh, for, uh, for the Christians at Ephesus. In uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul starts off saying, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And in this pursuit of unity, I'm going to skip down to verse 14, in this pursuit of unity and in that context, Paul then says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so in the context of speaking the truth in love as disciples of Jesus and being directed by his life and teaching, as we contrast and compare the creator's worldview versus the corrupted uh, views of truth that creep into our lives, the lies that we believe can be exchanged for truth that sets us free and draws us into deeper unity with each other. And today's lie, which I've already revealed, so I've played that card, has the potential to be the most challenging to move on because many of us probably don't agree that it actually is a lie uh, because it seems like something that the Bible teaches. Um, it's also been used on both sides of the aisle as religious reasoning for political policy. Um, it's something that many probably, uh, if we're honest, want to be true when it comes to other people because it allows us to stay at an arm's length. And at best, it reflects a misunderstanding of how God operates, but it's also representative of how many of us have lived our lives at one point or another. And so the lie is, like we talked about, like I revealed already, is God helps those who help themselves. And, and I get, like, you could make the argument that there are some passages of Scripture that sound like that this is definitely the case and how God expects us to operate in life, that this has its origins and some principles that you could derive from the Bible. Um, and, however, 
I believe that it says a lot more about our cultural influences than what the Bible actually teaches. In fact, the origin of the sentiment actually lies more closely uh, in Greek of philosophy. And in fact, one of the earliest examples that we have of this statement is from Aesop in one of his fables. I'm, I'm going to show you a picture uh, of, of that right here, I think. Yeah, and, and this is a very shortened version of this fable, uh, although it's not much longer than this. When the god saw the wagoner kneel, crying, Hercules, lift me, lift me my wheel from the mud where tis stuck, he laughed and said, no such luck. Set your shoulder yourself to the wheel. And so Aesop, his, his lesson, you know, there as part of this fable is that the gods help them that help themselves. So his picture is the gods just kind of look at us and laugh. Um, you can also find the sentiment in the Quran, uh, in a, a verse in the Quran, it says, Indeed, Allah will not change the condition of a people until they change what is in themselves. So it certainly sounds like that phrase. God helps those who help themselves. The first modern English speaker to use this phrase, his name was Algernon Sidney, which sounds like a great first name. Um, he happened to be executed by King Charles II for treason. So not sure that that uh, sentiment worked out all that well for him. Benjamin Franklin, he's cited as making and the, uh, the phrase the most popular, and he concludes it in his uh, Poor Richard's Almanac. Uh, it appears in the 1757 edition, and he says, Let us hearken to, do, to good advice, and something may be done for us. God helps them that help themselves, as Poor Richard says in his Almanac of 1733. And here's what's interesting about all these examples, and I think Franklin really illustrates this um, the, the best is that you might think of Benjamin Franklin as, oh, like he's a founding father, and so he must have been a Christian and had belief about God and how he operates, all that kind of thing. What's interesting is that Franklin was actually a deist, which means that he believed not in a personal God who is actively involved in the affairs of people, but rather in a God who set the world in motion, stepped back and said, good luck. So not only is this motto not in the Bible, it also wasn't popularized by someone who was committed to what the Bible actually tells us about who God is, uh, what it means to have Jesus sent here to this world, and how it impacts and changes our life. Um, this phrase is inconsistent with a kingdom of God, disciple of Jesus worldview. With Aesop, you know, the gods laugh at the problems of men. Other world religions believe that it's through our effort that we reach God, or that we reach actualization in our lives. Um, deists believed that God is disinterested and lets us fend for ourselves. And yet the worldview from Scripture that we find consistently shown for us through the narrative story of how God moves among his people and why he sends Jesus is that God doesn't make us come to him. He comes to us through Jesus. And that may seem like a nuanced or subtle shift. I don't believe it is. It may seem like a nuanced or subtle shift in belief from, from that statement that is untrue. Uh, but in fact, it makes a world of difference in how we view our lives. When you read a verse like James 4.8, I would concede that you might find a different sense than that. Because James, in James chapter 4, verse 8, James writes, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so that certainly sounds like, well, i gotta, I got to go to him, or there's going to be a pretty big problem here. Um, but check out the context in the preceding verses and the point that James is making. He writes, and, and this, is, this is harsh language, but it's for emphasis, 
Uh, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has called to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so what James' point is, is that submitting ourselves to the help God has already provided is what actually helps us. And the reason this makes so much sense for redemptive history is that ultimately helping ourselves is what gets us in trouble in the first place. One more example from Scripture, and this is from Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. This passage reveals a couple things. The secondary information is that the Thessalonians were so good at providing and helping one another that there were people just kicking back and were able to rely on the benevolence of everyone else in the congregation of their fellow believers for provision, which is something actually uh, that to some degree should be celebrated. Like that's a great example of how we're called to care for one another in our times of need when we, we we need help. But the primary emphasis Paul is making is reflected in how we live our lives according to the help God has given us and how that's reflected in the life and teachings of Jesus. Uh, think, think about it this way because there, there is an important nuance to this in how it, shifts our thinking, how it shifts our thinking. Think about it like this. Think about the difference between how you feel at a pers- about a person who helps themselves versus someone you invite to help themselves. Let me give you an example. Um, I never understood when I was in college dorm life how some guys would treat other people's things in their room. Like, I always kept my room locked. Um, there are some guys who didn't. I, I saw what happened as a result, and it was never, never a good thing. But you would just, you'd have guys come in, and they would just lay lay on your bed or sit on your pillow or step all over yourself and just make themselves at home and make themselves comfortable. And you guys have probably, it's like whatever scenario it is in your life, you probably have seen people like that and don't appreciate how they just kind of help themselves to whatever they want. They go in your fridge, they take, they take whatever they want uh, from you and how you feel as a result of that. Like that's, that's never a good thing. That's not a great experience. But as a host or, or maybe as a guest to someone's house, when they have welcomed you in and they provide hospitality to you and they say, hey, you know what? Help yourself to the food. Help yourself to this. Look at all these things that are prepared for you. I'm welcoming you, in, welcoming you into my home. That's a completely different feel. There's a completely different sense to what it means to help yourself in those scenarios. That when we think of people who help themselves, we think of selfishness, we think of ignorance, we think of lack of manners. 
And yet, when we expect people to dig themselves out of their own hole, uh, sometimes we uh, question what they do. Sometimes we get angry at the ways they try because no one has taught them how to do so. And they're not the only ones who have dug that hole for themselves to begin with. And so the way we think about God helps those who help themselves changes when we shift that lie for what's true, it changes how we think about how God interacts with us and how we're called to interact with our fellow man. Those who are invited to help themselves to what's been provided to them, that's how God operates. And so while the lie is God helps those who help themselves, the truth is that God helps those who need help. By the way, that so happens to be all of us. We all need his help. There's none of us that go through life without needing it, and it's the message of the gospel. And yet God has already freely offered that help and provided the way for that help for us. The mark of God's blessing is not a lack of needing his help. It's a daily recognition of his help being the only thing that we can rely on. The more we sin, the more we miss the mark, the more difficult things will be, the more help we need to rely on through God and others. But think back to James' words in James chapter 4. Friendship with God comes from a willingness to humble ourselves in relationship with him. And that's what makes all the difference in our lives when we need help. God's already provided it. There's a picture um, that I think really uh, illustrates this for us. And I want to remind you of what this looks like uh, for many of us in this room that have made the decision to accept God's help. And here's the picture. Um, this is a picture of, yeah, we can clap about that. It's something we're clapping about. This is a picture of Seth and Sarah. Um, and this picture is a result of years of their parents sharing the gospel with them, of conversations, of modeling faith uh, for them. And, and this, is, this is the end result of Seth and Sarah making a choice between them and God to accept and welcome his help into their lives. And so um, I'm, I'm reminded that just this week at breakfast with a friend, I was talking about how uh, there were some, and, and not bad things, but there were things going on that were making me anxious, uh, stressing me out a little bit. And, and it occurs to me that in those moments, what can be the most powerful thing to do is to stop and take a breath and remember what God has already done and what he's already provided. And so what I want to do right now is just encourage you, for those of you that are disciples of Jesus, you have made that decision that you are all in with him in that relationship. Maybe right now what you need is a reminder and a deep breath that God is already providing the help that we need. And so right now, just on the count of three, I just want to invite you, if you need that deep breath, to take it with me right now. One, two, three. That's the difference between believing that God helps those who help themselves and God helps those who need help. Because he's, he's giving it to us. He's given it ultimately to us to take care of our biggest issue, and that's our spiritual separation from him. And he's given that help to us through Jesus. As followers of Jesus, as disciples of his, he's given us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to always be with us no matter what we're going through. His presence is there. 
to counsel us, to help us, to advocate for us. And, and that's the kind of relationship that we exchange when we move on from, I got to do this myself and I got to figure out my own way through to saying, God, okay, I'm, I'm going to choose friendship with you and I'm going to let you direct, direct my path. Um, there's, a, there's an old sermon illustration that some of you, if you've grown up in a church, um, maybe you've heard this before, um, but I, I, think it's worth, I think it's worth sharing again, even if you've already heard it. And some of you will recognize it as I begin to share it. There's this town, and a flood comes, and it covers everything in water. And so this person climbs up on the roof, and they're praying, and they're saying, God, you know, deliver me. Help me out in this situation. And uh, their neighbor comes by. The neighbor's in their canoe. says, hey, um, come on in. I've got room. Um, we, can, we can paddle uh, to safety. And, um, and the person says, no, it's okay. I'm, I've prayed and I'm trusting in faith that God will, will provide help for me. All right? Um, so the person in the canoe paddles, paddles along. And, uh, and then there's a uh, first responder comes by in a speedboat, and uh, they're picking people up. And they say, hey, uh, we've got room in the speedboat. Why don't you, why don't you jump in, and we'll, we'll get you to safety. And the person says, no, I'm... I'm good. I've, I've prayed to God, and I'm trusting in faith that he's going to provide a way out, and he's going to give me help. Um, and then the Coast Guard helicopter comes along, and, and they're here, and they're like, hey, we'll, we'll pull you up. You know, get, get in the bucket, and, and, and we'll save you. And the person says, no, I'm, I'm trusting, trusting God that he's going to send help, uh, and, and I have faith that, that he's going to do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know where this is headed. Um, predictably, the person, person drowns, and they get to heaven, and they ask God, God, you know, I've been a person of faith for a long time. I prayed, I trusted in you, and, and uh, why, didn't you, why didn't you help me? And God said, I sent you two boats and a helicopter. <laughs> really? I thought maybe it would be a little funnier than that. <laughs> it was the delivery, wasn't it? It was, it was the delivery. It's okay. It's all right. It's all right. Um, a biblical worldview is that God is already at work helping and he sent that help through Jesus. And so as, as we put into practice the life and teachings of Jesus, like that's not us helping ourselves. That's us living out the help that God has provided for us. And when we talk about the things that we do, you know, the things that we know and be, you know, affect what we do in our lives, like that's, that's not us producing that help in our lives, that's us accepting and living out the help that God has provided. So when we talk about spiritual disciplines, when we talk about helped people, help people, or we say saved people, serve people, all of those kinds of things that are action words in, in our lives, that's us putting the help of God into practice into our lives. It's not us doing it on our own for ourselves. It's just not how God has set things up in a relationship and friendship with him. Uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, um, says this. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. And so when it comes to the help that we need from God, it looks an awful lot like, it looks an awful lot like trust and faith. And pursuing that, even when it seems like, that help isn't coming yet. 
Listen, I know there are plenty of us in this room that either need physical or emotional, um, relational help, or know people that do. But I'm telling you, the, the thing that pours into and the solution that, that pours into all those areas in our life of need is the spirit comes from and starts with the spiritual help that God provides. And absolutely, those physical and relational and emotional things, those, those things come from that, and they do exist. Uh, much of that is experienced through the community that we're called to live out together as people of faith and pursuing in who God is. Um, but, but remind yourselves, be, rem, be reminded that God is just not a spectator, but he's actively involved in caring for who you are. That he shows that through who Jesus is and continues to be as a living sacrifice for us, through his indwelling in the Holy Spirit uh, with us constantly where, where, wherever we go. And, and I want to invite you into that if that's not something that you've experienced yet. If, if that's not a decision that you've made to go all in with Jesus, I want to invite you into that and what that looks like. And I want you to come and say, hey, I need to talk about what it looks like to, to be all in with Jesus. To, to know and help, have the Holy Spirit to help counsel me and help me to shift uh, that, that way of thinking in this life. And for those of us who are Christians, I, I hope and pray that this, what may seem to be nuanced and subtle shift in, in, in thinking is meant to be an encouragement for us that God is always at work in our lives, that he never leaves us or forsakes us, uh, that there's never a moment in which we've been abandoned, that he's always offering uh, his help um, to us. And so I would invite you into this for all of us to remember this and be encouraged by this is that we have an opportunity to exchange helping ourselves uh, for God's invitation to help ourselves to what he has provided. And so let me pray as we consider that together this morning. God, it is, it is difficult to sometimes maintain perspective when we are bombarded with the responsibilities that we have, with the things that aren't going well in our lives, with the expectations that other people place on us, uh, the sin that we commit or that is committed against us. Um, those are all distractions to what you have already provided to us through Jesus. God, we thank you for your free gift of grace. We thank you for coming um, and doing what we could never do for, uh, do for ourselves. God, we thank you for your provision um, that lasts from this moment uh, all the way through eternity. God, we ask that, especially for those of us, if we're struggling to see where you're helping us in this life, um, that you would guide us through the Holy Spirit uh, in, in the way that you're providing um, for us, uh, to help us in our time of need. God, we ask that you help us to uh, see where you have given us opportunities to help those around us, um, to see the help that you're providing, sometimes which is coming through us and, and our relationships. God, we ask for um, we ask for an unwavering faith in the moments that, that cause us to, uh, to doubt that, that you're there and that you are for us and that it doesn't matter what is against us because of that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.